Al Jazeera podcast. Sikh activists have been operating for years outside India. Now, one has been killed in Canada. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau accuses New Delhi of triggering tension between the two countries. So, can it be contained? And what does this tell us about the plight of religious minorities in India? I'm Mohammed Jamjum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Joining me now are our guests. In Ottawa is Gary Keller, Vice President at Strategy Corps, a government relations and geopolitical advisory. He is also former Chief of Staff to the Canadian Foreign Minister. In Birmingham is Steve Hewitt, Associate Professor at University of Birmingham. He's working on a book detailing the history of terrorism and counterterrorism in Canada. And in New Delhi is Brahma Chalani, Professor of Strategic Studies at the Centre for Policy Research. He's former advisor to India's National Security Council. A warm welcome to you all. Now, we should point out, we had a spokesperson from India's ruling BJP party scheduled to be on the program with us, but they pulled out before recording. Gary, let me start with you today. Um, how extraordinary was it that this allegation was made publicly by Prime Minister Trudeau? Well, very extraordinary. Uh, the news that uh, was uh, broken in the House of Commons uh, on Monday afternoon, the House of Commons has been on a, a summer break uh, for a number of months now. And, you know, Canadians thought that uh, a large focus of the fall sitting of Parliament was going to be focused on the economy. And uh, within about uh, two hours of the House of Commons returning, Prime Minister Trudeau had Trudeau had certainly blown that out of the water with this this uh, this quite explosive news uh, and providing uh, almost no uh, heads up to the opposition parties. Uh, and it was uh, certainly dominating the headlines and it has dominated the headlines in Canada for the past 48 hours and will continue to do so as Prime Minister Trudeau is at the United Nations General Assembly uh, later this week. Uh, I'm sure he's going to be trying to court more support. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that mm. amongst uh, allied countries uh, around this investigation. But obviously, uh, the, the murder of this uh, uh, the Sikh activist and Canadian citizen made news back a number of months ago when it happened, uh, and now this has just even blown it even further into the stratosphere in terms of uh, what Canadians are hearing and watching. Uh, Gary, let me also ask you about the fact that uh, when you listen to the language used by Prime Minister Trudeau in uh, his statement, um, he's not really definitive. Uh, he says that Canadian intelligence are investigating credible allegations. Uh, he talks about there being a potential link. Uh, I want to ask you, um, is he giving himself a little bit of wiggle room on this? Yeah, you know, any any political leader will try to give themselves wiggle room uh, on something like this. Uh, you know, it's, again, a very explosive uh, allegation. Uh, and, you know, the it was interesting to see the reaction of the opposition parties, especially the conservative leader, uh, the leader of the official opposition, who immediately, his first reaction was, you know, yes, we all have to stand together against interference in Canada's activities. And foreign interference has been a major topic in Canada. Chinese interference in our political uh, elections, uh, that has been a major topic. And so this just adds fuel to the fire. But 24 hours later, the opposition leader was asking some more pointed questions. Mm. Uh, we need to see the full. We need to see the full evidence out there. Why uh, are these allegations about Indian interference and Indian activities made public when we've had months and years of allegations of Chinese interference? not become public. Uh, and so I like to say this is a, a dangerous inflection point for both the government and the opposition. Mr. Trudeau has to basically back up what he has said 
Uh, and if there's any wiggle room in that, that is going to be very dangerous for the government in terms of its credibility. On the same time, the opposition has to be very careful that it doesn't overplay its hand. It has a right and a duty to ask difficult questions in the House of Commons each and every day, but it can't be seen to be trying to make political hay uh, over a, a, a very serious situation like this. Brahma, the Indian government has said that any suggestion that it played a role in the killing of Hardeep Singh Nijar is absurd. Now, uh, aside from the initial statement by the Canadian Prime Minister, we also heard from Justin Trudeau uh, that he has said that he's not trying to provoke India after he made that uh, accusation. Um, what is the reaction to those remarks? Uh, does India see this as a provocation? India has reacted with fury. Because, as you pointed out um, in your earlier question, that what Trudeau was stating in the House of Commons on Monday was not about Canadian security agencies finding evidence of India's involvement in the killing of this Sikh militant. Rather, his statement was about allegations that he called credible allegations about a potential India link to the murder. But why would the prime minister of a country stand up in parliament and level allegations against another friendly country when not a single suspect has been arrested in the murder? So with no arrests, let alone any evidence, he stands up in parliament and basically echoes the allegations of radical Sikhs in Canada who from the very first day of the killing have held India responsible for the murder. Trudeau would have known that when he made that statement in the House of Commons, that this would rapidly worsen relations with India. Relations with India have been worsening on Trudeau's watch in recent years, because Trudeau's government has turned a blind eye to the increasing activities of radical Sikhs in Canada. The fact is that Trudeau has political ties to Canadian Sikh radicals. He leads a minority government that depends for its survival on the support of the new Democratic Party leader, Jagmeet Singh. Jagmeet Singh is a Sikh by ethnicity, by religion, but he's also in the past defended Sikh militants that have been fighting for creating a separate Sikh homeland out of, uh, carved out of India to be known as Khalistan. As a lawyer, he's defended them. He's also participated in events in support of the Khalistan movement. So given the domestic politics in Canada, I know that Trudeau's popularity ratings have sunk. He's trailing the leader of the opposition. Maybe domestic political considerations have played a part in Trudeau's allegation. But you don't, you don't do what he has done, knowing that this would Brahma, undermine... Brahma, the Brahma, let, 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 undermine let me ask the you this. You, you talk about the fact that India is, is furious by these allegations. Um, from your perspective, can this growing rift, can it actually be contained? And, and if so, what has to happen? What we're seeing now is a downward spiral in relations. Each country has kicked out 
its top spy. And now they have been tit for tat travel advisories. India, for example, today advised Indians visiting Canada to exercise caution because of uh, uh, growing anti-India activity in Canada and, and, and also politically condoned violence in Canada. I think it's very important for Canada and India to stem this downward spiral in relations because Canada and India are not adversaries. These are friends. And I mm. think that it's easy to damage an important relationship, but rebuilding it would be far more difficult. So mm. it's very important both for Ottawa and New Delhi not to ex escalate matters. They need to take things uh, in, a, in a more cautious, in a more pragmatic way and use back-channel diplomacy mm. rather than airing grievances and suspicions and allegations in public. Unfortunately, the ball is in Trudeau's court. You know, he he has aired suspicions, these allegations, his mm. in, intelligence inputs. You know, and, and not a single suspect has been arrested. And this is remarkable because the murder happened more than three months ago. And if you don't have a single suspect in custody, you obviously don't have any evidence. Mm. And, and uh, so before you open your mouth in public, you should you should first think of the diplomatic consequences of what you are seeing. Steve, uh, let me ask you, uh, Canada has a very sizable population of Sikhs. How does that change the dynamics of this growing rift? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Canada has the largest uh, Sikh diasporic community um, in the world. And there's a long history of Sikh activism, Sikh extremism, uh, Sikh Canadians involved in, in violence. In fact, I was listening to this discussion thinking 40 years ago, this similar discussion was taking place, uh, including with the Trudeau government, not of Justin Trudeau, but of Pierre Trudeau. So you've got Sikhs who are, uh, as the uh, previous guest mentioned, uh, who are active in, in the Liberal Party. Uh, the leader of the New Democratic Party, as our previous guest mentioned, is a Sikh. But the deputy leader of the Conservative Party is also a Sikh. So you have Sikhs in all three major parties, and they play a full role in the Canadian political scene, uh, are upstanding citizens, are um, in large communities in British Columbia and Ontario. So, I mean, Canada is a very, obviously, a very diverse, very multicultural country, and there are diaspora communities from a number of places in the world, uh, as there are in the United States, as there are in the United Kingdom, where I am right now. Uh, Steve, let me also ask you, I mean, how much concern is there about the geopolitical consequences of a growing India-Canada confrontation? I mean, in both the short term and the long term. Well, this, I think, is really interesting uh, that Canada's main allies seem to be very quiet on this issue because, of course, this has come at a point where uh, the United States, the United Kingdom are trying to sort of pivot away from China and build relations with India. So in some ways, the Trudeau government is not um, sort of singing from the same song sheet uh, as its allies. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few weeks, because India is in a rather strong position, given the concerns about China, uh, including in Canada, as, as the first guest mentioned, the issue of foreign interference has been this big issue focused on China. Uh, and now it's obviously emerged uh, in relation to India.
Uh, Gary, I saw you reacting to some of what Steve was saying there. It looked like you wanted to jump in, so please go ahead. Yeah, uh, to Steve's point, you know, uh, and, 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 and actually to the other uh, guest's point, Canada has long been seen by India to have a uh, problem on how it deals uh, with Sikh extremism, uh, the Khalistani question. And in, in recent months, it is actually, it, it ebbs and flows. And, and the issue around Khalistan has heated up as Sikh extremists have held uh, what they call a referendum in certain communities across Canada calling for independence for uh, for uh, a Khalistani state. Um, and we know for a fact, too, that uh, the Modi government has tried to quietly back-channel uh, with some of those community members trying to tamp down uh, those who might have been on the fence. And so I think the Modi government in some ways thought that it was trying to get a handle on the Khalistani problem in Canada. Like I say, for, for 40, 50 years, the, the Indian government has has made uh, complaints about that. Um, and, you know, uh, the other issue that has been a huge issue in India and India-Canada relations is those same extremist gurdwaras and protests have seen uh, posters uh, calling for the assassination of Indian diplomats in Canada. And we've seen that security has been increased on the Indian High Commission in Ottawa and in consulate generals uh, across Canada. Um, so it is, it's a very serious uh, issue that has bubbled up over the last uh, number of months. And, and this uh, this killing back in, in the, the spring-summer, uh, again, focused attention even back then without this, without this uh, other uh, noise coming into, uh, into question. So uh, it is a, it's a live question, um, and, and it's also, to Steve's point, it's a political issue because in parts of Canada, uh, you know, the Surrey region of mm. Vancouver, where there's four or five seats which go back and forth between Liberals, New Democrats, and Conservatives, mm. there's probably, you know, eight to 15 seats in the greater Toronto area that again flip around. And Mr. Trudeau has a minority government. Uh, he has the support of the New Democrats on mm. this uh, for his, his, his minority government. And as a result, these are very politically important seats because if there's, you know, 15 to 20 seats that are uh, have a sizable uh, South Asian or Sikh population, that can make the difference between a, a majority and minority government in a lot of cases. So very, very live issues in, mm. in Canadian politics as well. I think not the politicians are thinking about the news first, but that that discussion is going to come later. Mm. Um, and uh, and India does have a point that Canada has been seen to be weak on Khalistani activity and Khalistani extremism in Canada. Uh, Brahma, to Gary's point, uh, let me ask you, uh, India has been raising concerns about the Khalistan independence movement, not just with Canada, but with other countries as well, where there are, are sizable Sikh populations like the UK and, and, and Australia, right? Well, exactly. And, and this year has been particularly bad in terms of uh, Sikh militancy abroad, because uh, the first the Indian High Commission, the embassy in London, was stormed by Sikh radicals. They entered the compound. They pulled down the Indian flag. They, you know, they hoisted the Sikh Khalistan flag. And then a few hours later, in a copycat attack in San Francisco on the Indian consulate, uh, Sikh militants stormed that consulate. And then they followed it up a few days later with an arson attack. They set, they set the front area of the consulate on fire. And then we have had a series of, um, of other uh, attacks on Indian diplomatic missions or Indian diplomats in, uh, in, in the Anglosphere countries. Uh, so these five Anglosphere countries are 
other hub of Sikh militancy today because what's interesting uh, for your viewers is that back in India, among Sikhs in India, there's little or no support for the Khalistan demand. This demand is only, only, being, only being espoused by a small minority of Sikhs living in Canada, in the US, principally California, in the UK and Australia. This is where the Khalistan demand is being advocated. It's an irony because even there, even, even among the Sikh diaspora, those who are advocating for a separate Sikh homeland are only a tiny minority of mm. the Sikhs. But the problem is that, you know, when, as your previous speaker was talking about the domestic political compulsions of Prime Minister Trudeau, when you have those compulsions and you give mm. a long rope to Sikh militants in, in, in your country, you encourage not only anti-India activities, you, you, you actually unintentionally encourage terrorism. And this is where, you know, today it's about India-Canada relations, a, a time might come when Sikh militants based in Canada carry out international acts of terrorism in other Western countries. Yeah. We don't want that to happen. That's the reason why mm. this is not just about India and Canada. Mm. This is about international security. Uh, yes. Steve, I saw you uh, reacting to yeah. a lot of what Brahma was yeah. saying there. It looks like you wanted to jump in, so go yeah. ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the worst act of terrorism in Canadian history was the bombing of Air India Flight 182 in 1985. Uh, two, uh, 329 people killed, 270 of them Canadian citizens on a per capita basis. That's the equivalent of a 9-11 for Canada, carried out by Sikh extremists operating in Canada. But I feel like in some ways your guest in India is making the case as to why India might be tempted to do exactly what they've been accused of. I mean, there was long concern that if Canada didn't do more, in a sense, to crack down on um, Sikh activities, and this again goes back decades, that India might be tempted to. And there's all kinds of evidence of Indian intelligence agents operating in Canada, monitoring uh, Sikh communities. But I think this is going obviously one step further uh, if these allegations are true and, and escalating things uh, beyond which something beyond the point that the Canadian government and I think most Canadians would find acceptable. Uh, Gary, I, I saw you reacting as well, so I'm going to let you jump in. But but I also want to ask you, um, when we're talking about these allegations and the seriousness of, of it all, I mean, is there a point with which the Canadian government is going to start making any of the evidence they say they have public? Well, that's a great question. And uh, when we've been dealing with accusations of Chinese uh, interference in our political elections, the government's response to date has been too sensitive. Parliamentarians can't have access to that. We have to have an a independent inquiry. Uh, even they were fighting an independent inquiry and only let former uh, governor general take a look at that information. Uh, and so uh, the onus and the call, even through that and now into this, is that, okay, you have to be more transparent with Canadians about these very serious allegations. And even Canada's national security advisor testified before House of Commons Committee saying, our default position is secrecy. Our default position is not to tell things. And if uh, you want to see things, we have to be pushed into it. And, and I think this is only going to lead to that. 
I just want to also touch on the fact that, and it, we started out on this, is this really, you know, if you thought that Canadian-Indian relations were cold before, uh, they're in the cryogenic deep freeze uh, for the very short and probably medium term as well. Uh, you know, the, like I say, the relationship has gone hot and cold over the last 40 or 50 years. It really kind of went cold after 2015 when Justin Trudeau focused a lot of his foreign policy attention on China at the expense of India. Obviously, that calculation changed in the wake of the two Michaels and the Meng Wanzhou case uh, and, and this increasing Chinese interference. Trudeau was pushing a, a free trade deal with China. That's off the table. Canada, 10 months ago, launched its uh, so-called Indo-Pacific strategy, which was to act as a counterweight against China in both foreign policy, trade, and development issues. But what do you do now? Uh, with an Indo-Pacific strategy when the Indo part of that strategy is basically gone and in the deep freeze for the next, uh, you know, little while here, uh, and probably for the length of this Trudeau government, you know, mm. you need a, if you need a counterweight to China, mm. um, uh, it's not going to, that relationship's not going to work in Canada. And, and then we've seen this reaction from both the United States, the UK, some of our Five Eyes partners who are going, well, Canada, you should really investigate these these this information. And yes, you know, any killing of a Canadian citizen is horrible. Mm. Investigate that further. They're not coming out and just jumping on the bandwagon because mm. they understand. And and Joe Biden has made this a key part of his foreign policy strategy, a political strategy to bring India closer to the fold. Mm. They had a very successful G20. And Justin Trudeau was actually the outlier at the G20 in terms of being there and, and participating. Now we know why, because mm. they, they had some very difficult discussions over the course of that conference. Uh, Brahma, I, I want to ask you about the fact that since his election in 2014, Prime Minister Modi has been accused uh, by many groups of overseeing a rising tide of conservative Hindu nationalism in India. Uh, there are minority groups in the countries that have raised concerns about threats to their human rights. Um, this issue has been, been re receiving wider global attention after three pro-Khalistan activists died in quick succession in different countries earlier this year. Um, what does this say about the plight of religious minorities in India? Well, first, I think you have to keep in mind that India is a very polarized democracy. In fact, it's in some respects more polarized than the United States. And if you go back to the time when Donald Trump was in the White House, you remember how Americans were accusing Trump of undermining American democracy, of uh, being a threat to American democracy, of, of acting as a strong man. These are the kind of accusations that critics of Modi heard at Modi. So you have to keep in mind that, that, that in a highly partisan political environment, like in India, where either you are pro-Modi or anti-Modi, you can't be neutral. If you're neutral, then you are, you know, you, you, you are an outcast for both sides. So what are these accusations that are being hurled about what Modi is doing are like what Trump was accused of. But just the way American democracy survived Trump, the Trump's, Trump's presidency, Indian democracy is robust enough to survive Modi. There's nothing, he has done nothing in terms of changes in law that affect the minorities. So one has to keep that in mind, but, but coming back to the larger issue that, you know, that you're discussing. The fact is that much before Modi even entered politics, India has had deep concerns 
about the operations of Indian origin terrorists from Anglosphere countries. And those Indian concerns go back to the 1980s when an Indian diplomat was murdered in Birmingham in Britain. And as the previous guest mentioned, a bomb explosion downed an Air India flight from Toronto, killing all 329 people on board. Now, assassinating dissidents abroad is what authoritarian regimes do. India has never been accused of taking down anyone on Western soil. For example, there are more than 100 UN-designated terrorists based in Pakistan that are wanted in India. And yet, India has put up with those terrorists, even though some of them are wanted in India for, for horrific attacks, such as the 2008 Mumbai massacre. Now, by, by comparison, this Sikh radical who was gunned down in Canada is an unknown figure in India. He's certainly not on India's list of most wanted terrorists. So you have to ask mm. yourself that why would, why would India take down some obscure figure in Canada, even though he's a fugitive from Indian law? Mm. He, he, he carried out some acts of terrorism in India, and he entered Canada illegally, illegally, mm. and he tried for years to, to become a citizen, twice as uh, applications Rama? for refugee status were were, were, were rejected. Rama, yes, I'm, go ahead. I'm, so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Gary Keller, Steve Hewitt, and Rama Chalani. This episode was produced by Mohammed Al-Aishi, Fintan Monahan, Fungi Nguyen, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Fazil Yahya. The program was edited by Zaina Badr and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Thursday for our next episode. Coming up on The Take, will the prisoner swap between Iran and the U.S. lead to further diplomatic breakthroughs? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcast.